One of the great saints of the Christian tradition was on his deathbed and he was asked, what is it that you're thinking? And he thought for a moment and he said two things. What a great sinner I am and what a great savior Jesus is. And that is a great assurance for us. There's hope in that perspective in life, a remembrance of our humanity, his divine grace and divinity, all the capacity that he has to meet us wherever we are in the journey of life and to lift us up. That conviction that God is a lifter of people is what fired up a vision for our church uh, more than a year ago now as we embarked upon an adventure to strengthen our capacity as a congregation to serve God's purposes in the world, to meet people at the pain points of life, to disciple younger children and families, to uh, provide hope and help for people, to share the gospel uh, with all the nations. And uh, we are today revisiting at the halfway point of that longer journey uh, some of the convictions that underlie what it is that we set out to be about and to do and to provide a resource for those especially who may have not been around last year when we did this. There are, on an average week now, about 400 people here now that were not here last year at this time in the life of our church family. On an average weekend, 400 more. And if you're one of those people, you might especially enjoy reading your way through this resource uh, material that we provided for you on entry today. If you didn't pick up one of these little booklets, please know they're available to you on your way out this morning. And this is a place for you to not only gain greater uh, understanding or be reminded of the objectives of our LIFT initiative, but also is a great place for you to start journaling your responses to the teaching ministry that will be a major part of our journey over these next weeks. In fact, I invite you to turn to page 18 today. There is a place for you to take notes uh, in your booklet. And these, uh, you'll find here also some great resources uh, for the small groups that are taking place. We'll say a little bit more about that uh, later as well. But as we jump in today, I want to invite you just to, to note the, the very brightly colored word on the, on the front cover of this little booklet. And I want to ask you this question. Is there any word in the English language more encouraging, more affirming, more, more inspiring, and more beautiful, other than the name of Jesus himself, than the word together. Together. Say that word with me if you would. Together. Together suggests so many wonderful things. It suggests a shared adventure. It suggests a common spirit. It reminds us of a unity of purpose, an alignment of affections. In other words, it, it points us towards exactly that kind of aspiration and community life that seems so missing in America today. Think about that. What's gone? What's eroded in recent years? It has been this sense of being in this life together. You being you, of course, is good. Me being myself is okay on my best days. But being truly together as friends or as a family, as a team or as fans, as a, uh, as a church or as a society, that is something 
that is an order of life that is better and higher than merely an individualistic way of coming at this world. Are you with me on that? Does that resonate with you too? When we read the Bible, it's hard to miss how often God emphasizes the theme of togetherness. How often he is calling his people to, a, to return to a togetherness with him and with one another. And in fact, one of the most famous or luminous examples of this teaching in Scripture is found in the letter to the Hebrews of unknown authorship, but written to Jewish people uh, who were scattered around uh, the ancient world. Uh, and in this letter, uh, there's this wonderful invitation to return to the togetherness that once marked their experience of life and the Christian faith. And I want to take you to a particular part of Hebrews chapter 10 today where the writer of this particular letter issues an invitation that is a little bit like a New Year's resolution. He's saying if you're going to make something a priority as you go through life from this point on, let it be this. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 10. Hear the word of God. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not neglecting the habit of meeting together. Not neglecting the pattern, the rhythm, the practice, the commitment of meeting together. Let us not do that as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day, and by that he means the day of Christ's return, approaching. Now I invite you to notice the words that I have emphasized there in the text. I encourage you to pay attention to those. When I was very Initially, looking at this passage of Scripture, I was struck by the intensity of those particular words. Consider, spur, don't give up, encourage. It's as if the author has to be emphatic, has to use this infinitive form of the language because he is aware that the people he's writing to are under the influence of powerful forces that would drive them in the opposite direction of those very things he's emphasizing there. That there's a context for their lives that would influence them to head in a direction that is not God's plan and not God's good for them. And that was frankly, likely the case in the context in which the people to whom he was writing lived. Scholars think that the letter to the Hebrews was written to shore up the Christian faith and practice of Jewish believers whose commitment to the way of Jesus had once been strong, but which was now being diluted. It was being distorted. It was being dissolved and destroyed by the enormously powerful influence of the Roman way of life. This ubiquitous culture with its set of values, so different from the values of the kingdom of God. Imagine being somebody who lives in a culture 
that is just so overwhelming in its influence that you are in danger of becoming kind of like a lemming within it. You know what a lemming is, right? It's one of those proverbial rodents that are said, and I gather this is a myth, but it's a very persevering and vivid image. Uh, uh, they're like a group of, 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 of rodents that, that just follow after each other and then plunge themselves over the edge of a cliff to their destruction. Imagine being in a culture where you were so influenced by the procession of the world that you became something like a, a lemming. How important would it be in the midst of that kind of context to be able to hear the voice of God above the din and the clamor and the call of that culture? How important would it be to hear God saying stop and consider how you're living. Consider where you're going before it's too late. Or imagine living in a society that is driving you daily to become more and more suspicious, more and more hard-hearted toward other people, more and more self-oriented and selfish with the resources that you have. How crucial would it be to have some place, some circle you could enter into, somewhere you could go in which you would hear a different voice, a voice that was spurring you towards love and good deeds, towards love and generosity versus suspicion, hatred, cynicism, and selfishness. Or picture this, though I know this is really far-fetched, Imagine that you were somebody who lived in a setting where the technologies and the tempo of life would leave you increasingly isolated from one another. Imagine you lived in some strange science fiction world where people went around all day long, even though they were in the company of other people, staring at some device. Even though they were with family, friends, fellow believers, lost in their own duties, lost in their own distractions. How key would it be to have the voice of Jesus urging you to not give up meeting with, connecting with, truly knowing and being known by other people. By the way, I'll tell you a little pro tip here. I, I gave away, I think the best Christmas gift that I gave away this year was David Brooks' new book. David Brooks is a New York Times columnist and a follower of Jesus. He came out of the Jewish tradition. He became a follower of the Messiah. And, and he's written a book that's called How to Know a Person. And, and, and the subtitle, And to Be Known by Others. And it might be one of the most important books of our time because increasingly we don't even remember how to do relationships, how to make connections, how to truly meet with one another. And Brooks provides some very practical, inspiring handles for this. You know, I don't really know what it was like to be one of those Jewish people growing up in the Roman Empire. I mean, I've got handles on it. I'm giving you hints about it, but I really do know what it's like to be a Christian living under the pervasive influences of our time, and you do too. You understand this. 
And this much I believe. If you and I do not stop and consider the way we're living, if we don't stop and consider the direction in which we're going, if we don't take steps, practical steps, every single week to keep refocusing ourselves on being or becoming even more people of love and good deeds in a world of of hatred and cynicism and anger and suspicion and selfishness, if we don't do these things, if we don't make it a priority to be meeting regularly with other people that are trying to encourage the character of Christ to grow up in us and, and, and the way of the kingdom to, to flow out from us, if we don't do this very intentionally, then we're going to miss out on what life may hold. Life as God intended it to hold. We will become subjects of the empire of darkness and of this world and we will miss the life of the kingdom, the beautiful kingdom of God. It's why the words that are emphasized in this particular version of the text we just read are also worth noting. Because the emphasis I think right here is is a reminder that God did not intend us to have to figure out life on our own. Uh, He made us for life together. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote a spectacular book on that, another great read. It's a short one if you've not read it, Life Together. He also made us to lift together one another and other people. And this is why being part of a faithful uh, church or committing ourselves to a a smaller group of fellow disciples matters so very much. And I, and I acknowledge, I am speaking to the choir here. <laughs> I am speaking to people that have done the unusual thing in this world and chosen to be in this place this morning or to be tuning in from even from home. They, you want to ex- be experiencing that, that togetherness with other people pursuing the way of Jesus. I just want to to encourage you to keep encouraging other people to find this for themselves. Uh, Don't stop trying to reach your kids. Uh, Maybe even your adult kids that have wandered away from this kind of an experience. Don't give up the mission you can have as grandparents to, to be helping your grandkids see the beauty and the value of being part of a Christian community someplace. Because the people we choose to do life with and and the voice that they are listening to above all others and the direction that we are driving along on together, these are the most life-changing choices we make. And tell them that. Remind yourself and others of that. That who we're keeping company with what their values are, what voices they're prioritizing, and the direction they're going. This will have an enormous influence upon the course and the ultimate outcome of human lives. I was a teenager once. I know it seems hard to believe that. I, I was thinking that just yesterday as I was sitting here in this space and seeing this whole platform filled up with teenagers and the 
whole room filled up with the families and uh, siblings of teenagers. I thought, wow, that's a great season of life. It's a wonderful season of life. You know, as a teenager, you often, you often understand the importance of togetherness in very wonderful ways. I, I remember back to uh, one of my favorite experiences as a kid uh, was, was gathering with my, my friend Joe, Rich, and Dan and piling into my old beater car and driving out to Jones Beach on Long Island. Uh, I grew up in Westchester County, just north of Manhattan, and, it, and we would drive out, uh, sometimes on a weekday, uh, particularly when we were seniors in high school, probably playing a little hooky, but often on the weekends, we would drive out to Jones Beach together, uh, the Beach Boys blasting the whole way on the cassette stereo system in my Chevy Malibu that had been handed down to me from my grandfather. Man, those were great days, those road trips. I'll never forget them. I swear that that car knew the route to Jones Beach. I could have taken my hands off the wheel. It was one of the first self-driving cars. It, it had been there so often. It was uh, just part of the experience for me and for my friends. Um, there were uh, times when we would go to that particular place and, and, and we would have so much fun and it would be an unbroken journey of joy. And there were times when we would head out to, to, to Jones Beach, especially on weekends during the summer, when the trip to Jones Beach was H-E double hockey sticks. The traffic would pile up and it would slow to a crawl. It would grind to a stop for the longest periods of time and we would worry about running out of gas. We were actually nervous about this, uh, that we could actually not have brought enough gas in the tank with us and, and even good vibrations would not help when the car overheated and we would be left stranded in this big traffic jam. One day we found ourselves not too far from the beach as the crow flies, but a very long distance from the beach as the traffic was flowing. And I was really nervous about this particular possibility that the engine was gonna overheat and we'd run out of gas. Uh, and, and we were uh, moving so very slowly at this particular moment that I just was uh, bored. I was looking around and we kept playing and changing and listening to the Beach Boys songs. And I finally, I finally saw it. I must have passed by it dozens and dozens of times, but at a speed too fast to have noticed it. But on this particular day, I, I, I looked over and I, and I saw it. And it was this little sign that simply had on it the word beach and an arrow pointing to the right. And the, and the arrow was pointing down this little break in the berm, this little gravelly, dirty path, narrow path that went through the berm. And I looked over it and my friend Rich in the back seat saw me looking over and he looked over and he said, let's go for it. And on impulse, I twisted the wheel and turned off the road and went down into the gully for a moment and up and onto that little lane and around the corner of the berm. 
For the first little while, I thought, huge error. Because this little lane was taking us in a direction that was clearly away from what our sense of direction told us was the direction of the beach. And then the lane began to wind around. And then it would turn back in the right direction. And then it would wind the other way. And then it would wind further. And it kept going like this for a little while when all of a sudden we came through another berm and found ourselves in the parking lot at the seashore with the waves crashing in before us. So help me Rhonda, we did. Toward the end of his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this to the massive crowd who had gathered to listen to him. The most famous sermon of Jesus, the most uh, beautiful sermon of all time, uh, comes to a conclusion or near conclusion uh, with this particular set of words. Listen. Enter through the narrow gate, said Jesus. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I think back to that vision, staring down the crowded highway, with the heat shimmering off of the hoods of all those cars. All those cars clearly committed to this direction. And I think of the choice to make a hard right turn down this narrow lane. How many of you had a mom or dad or some other mentor in your life who said to you at some point, just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean you should? Raise your hand if you ever heard that one. <clears throat> yeah, good parenting. We've had good parenting. And, and, and I think it, it just points us to a reality about life, and, that, and this is it. Maybe it needs to be said more often. We can get lost together. Togetherness can actually be one of the reasons why we get lost sometimes, because we're just going with the crowd. We can be doggedly determined to travel a particular road because it is very well-trafficked. We figure this must be a good path. Why would so many other people be on it? So said every proverbial lemming. And there are, there are many well-traveled tracks uh, along which Jesus posts a sign that says, turn, with a little arrow heading another direction. There are many of these big roads of life that people are on, lots of people are on, along which Jesus has a pointer saying, go that way instead. And one of the most obvious ones, a big, big theme of the teaching of Jesus, is the very wide road of consumer materialism. You know, I remember the story of a missionary who was in conversation with, um, with one of the local folks that uh, he had come to make 
his life amongst. And, um, and he asked the, the, the individual, what's, what's the biggest problem in this community? And, um, and the local uh, leader said, materialism. And the missionary looked around and said, wow, I mean, he's looking at these, these grass huts and very, very modest means. And he says, really? I know that's a big issue in America, but I wouldn't have thought it would be an issue here. He said, oh, and the local leader said, oh, yeah, everybody thinks, I want a bigger hut. Somebody's got a little bigger hut. I want a bigger hut. One of the largest, most traveled roads is the road of consumer materialism. We spend ourselves into destruction on this road, if not financially, if not physically, then spiritually speaking, something gets lost in us as we chase after things. We shell out $1,000 to upgrade to the next me phone, right? We spend $1,000 to upgrade just to the next version of the me phone because it might have a slightly better camera. When, when, when that $1,000 could make a huge difference in the life of some Kenyan child um, in some really significant way, that if we saw the difference it made, it would bring us joy. And guess what? We'd still have a decently working phone, the old one, the last model. But how many times do we just head down that big road? Because everybody's upgrading. Everybody seems to be going after that, whatever that thing is. It's not just in terms of phones. We spend untold hours staring at screens or flipping the pages of luxury good purveyors. When that time we're investing in these things, it's time we'll not get back. That could have been spent talking with God, reading his word, interacting deeply with one of the precious, amazing human beings that are around us. And when they go, what would we not give to have had that accessibility to them back when we spent that time on the wide road of consumer materialism? We spend our energies worrying over stuff, dusting stuff, storing stuff, rearranging stuff, figuring out where I'm going to put all that stuff, protecting our stuff. We allow ourselves to feel embarrassed, to actually feel a little bit humiliated when somebody uh, has something really new and, and our particular version of that is something kind of old. Oh no, I'm not so sure I want people to even come to my house for what they might see. It's not new enough. It's not beautiful enough. It's not trendy enough. Think of the energy that goes into this occupation. The, the spiritual gas we're burning up on the wide road that so many are traveling today. And we think this is the way to happiness. 
this is the way to the beach. We buy the idea. Why do we keep traveling this road? Because so many other cars are on it. Look in front of you. The shimmering mirages of Hades are rising from a billion consumer engines out there. Some of you may be thinking about now, gosh, Dan, you're going a little hard here. Did you not have a good Christmas? I had a great Christmas. I did. I had a really lovely Christmas. And I want to be quick to confess to you, I'm on this road too. Right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not on the side of the road pointing at you foolish people. I'm on that road with you. I'm in the car. I'm in the old Chevy Malibu with you. <laughs> Truly. And, and, and this is a confusing, challenging journey we're on together. But I'm glad we're on it together. I'm glad we have a chance to talk in the car and interact together and reflect on, to consider in a sense what our lives are like and where we're going. And I sometimes respond well to the voice of God calling me to consider my real path, uh, to, to look at my real priorities, to invest more in love and good deeds instead of all the other stuff that I could invest in. And, and, and I handle sometimes the, 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 the uncertainty I have about whether maybe I am too consumeristic by reminding myself that at least I'm trying. Hey, Lord, give me some credit here. I mean, there are some things I didn't buy. Give me some credit here. I'm, I'm doing some things right. I mean, I'm on the road of faith. I'm trying to head toward the seashore of your kingdom. I'm not like one of those folks in, in the video game Grand Theft Auto who's out there just knocking other people over on the road of life. If you've never seen that game, you're not missing anything. I'm not like that, Lord. I'm more loving. I'm more generous than a lot of people. I think it's easy to think that because we're doing some things right, we must be righteous. Uh, my wife calls that the sanctuary of comparative success. The dangerous sanctuary of comparative success. It's also easy to forget that God wants us to change our course even further because he's for us. Because he's so for us. He wants the best for us and through us. All of those years that I was driving out to Jones Beach on that big wide road, I felt like I was heading towards the right place. And I was. A great place. But I was consistently missing a cutoff. <laughs> a, a cutoff that was a better route to the best of places. I could have enjoyed so much more of the sea and the sun and the sky and the salt, air and the sand if I was just paying better attention, if I'd made an even earlier hard right turn. In the Bible verses that come right after this part of, the, of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, 
And I, by the way, I want to encourage you to do that. It's chapter 7. It won't take you much time. Read your way through the last part of the Sermon on the Mount. Very often preachers in the last part of their message are saying things that really wrap it up, really get to the point. And Jesus does beautifully in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the last part of this particular message, uh, Jesus sort of gives these three vignettes, these three um, images that, that help us understand how, how we could be heading towards destruction and not knowing it, and what it would be to really turn in a better direction. Uh, Jesus talks about first about prophets who look like healthy trees, but who bear bad fruit. He then goes on to describe disciples who talk about all the right religious things, but don't actually do what they're talking about, what Jesus is asking. And he teaches about builders who imagine or conceive a house, but end up constructing it on bad foundations. And these three little vignettes are out to make the same point. When they do things in threes in the Bible, it's because we're trying to emphasize something. Trying to make sure, oh, maybe you missed it the first time, let me give it to you the second time. Maybe you missed it the second time, let me give you the third time. It's that important. It's that important. So each of the objects of the story, the bad tree, the false disciple, the poor builder, had some things right. Hallelujah. But if you looked at them, you'd think, well, pretty good. Compared to others, they, they look good, they talk good, they imagine good. My dad's angry because I'm not using adverbs. Well, they look this way. But all three of the people that Jesus is describing here, or, or picturing here, all three of the entities, lacks the most important element that God is looking for. What's God looking for? Good fruit not good appearance, good deeds, obedience, not good talk, and, and a solid foundation, not just a beautiful plan. So as I move to a close today, Permit me to try and offer what I hope will be for all of us something of a pro tip. If you, if you want to be certain of making God smile as you head through this year ahead, as we drive along from this point early in 2024, then resolve to be, as the writer of Hebrews here commends, resolve to be a truly generous person a person of real love and real good deeds. The Bible defines generosity as love, having the right heart, and good deeds, the right actions. If you want to, to pick a single commitment that you can use to make this, commir, uh, this year ahead, one that is going to definitely please God, then resolve Let's both of us, let's all of us, let's together resolve to be even more generous. 
Generosity is the good fruit, the true faithfulness, the sign that you're building the house of your life on the foundation of Christ's teaching and example because Jesus talks so much about generosity and Jesus modeled so much generosity. And in fact, even the cross itself is the ultimate symbol of God's self-sacrificing generosity. Generosity is evidence. It's proof that you are developing a heart and a habit and a set of habits like God's, like Jesus. So let me just be really blunt, because I know it's safe for us to do that in this, in this car. Let me be really honest. You and I are living on a crowded superhighway lined with cars that are following billboards telling us to envy more, buy more, store more, get more, keep more. But Jesus calls you and me to make a hard, as in difficult, right, as in in the good direction, turn, as in change. And the journey of the Christian life is one of continuing hard right turning, continuing repentance. Jesus said that while many travel the wide road, there will be few who find this better road that he called the kingdom of heaven. So let me close by saying, I hope you do. I hope I do. Because it's easy to miss it. I hope this church, I hope your small group, I hope your family, your, your circle of friends, the people that you and I influence in the year ahead will be among those who find the path to life in all of its fullness. And as you'll be reminded in the video that we're going to watch in just a moment, one year ago today, you and I responded to the call of Jesus Christ to lift 10,000 people over these coming years toward their God-given potential. The commitment we made 12 months ago now, many of us, that commitment is showing itself in good fruit, in true faithfulness, and in hearts and habits built on a foundation more like God's. And I hope you will enjoy this reminder of, of where we began and how far we've traveled together since then. But one day, you and I are going to experience an even greater fulfillment. I promise you we will. We're gonna find ourselves with Jesus on another shore the warm light of the sun will illuminate everything that we've been through, even the sacrifices that we've made along the way. And the waves of his grace are going to wash over us and heal everything we've experienced in this life. And the lives that Jesus used, your generosity and mine, to change for the good will be fully clear to us. And we won't be sorry in the slightest.
that we turned the wheel. And in the meantime, here's just a tiny foretaste of what our church is doing to respond to the God who seeks to lift everyone toward the ultimate good. Watch with me. Think with me about what joins us together. Together, you and I believe in a God whose grace is greater than the gravity of life. Together, we join with followers of Jesus, who for more than 2,000 years have proclaimed a Lord who meets people, even in the worst of times, to do the best of things. Together, we make up Christ Church, an amazing community of people who've been lifted by that grace and who want to see others experience that kind of lift too. It was just one year ago now that our community came together to embark upon a life-changing journey of discipleship and ministry. Together, we sought to fulfill a bold vision God gave the leadership at Christ Church to lift our faith and discipleship, to raise up kids and families, to expand our missions impact, to elevate the quality of our two campuses, to raise our future capacity, and of course, to undergird our core ministries and mission. We dared to ask, what would it look like for each and for all of us to dedicate ourselves more fully to lifting thousands of people toward their God-given potential? The result was an outpouring of the Spirit through this community, through you, in a way that led to formal commitments in excess of $22 million that allowed us to begin making progress toward the six visionary goals of our LIFT initiative. We are one year into this two-year adventure. We've already seen God working powerfully through this community to lift people by His grace. I think we're excited, um, but then also in one sense, wow, it's already been a year. And I'm excited in, in terms of how God's been faithful and how we've also heard other people speak about their stories of how he's been faithful. We felt the temperature of our community's faith rising. We've seen an increase of servant leaders throughout the ministries of the church and a deeper engagement with our local mission partners. We've witnessed a surge in people trusting God with their finances and many giving for the very first time. We've watched more and more people taking the vulnerable steps to join a group or to invite a friend. And that doesn't even count the unseen fruit from greater relational health in friendships and marriages, to more beneficial rhythms in the lives of families, to stronger commitment and inspiration in our various circles of leadership. God is using you and me in immeasurable ways through our growing faith in Him. The value I find in being involved in a small group is growing spiritually outside of the regular Sunday sermons, just getting deeper into other books of the Bible and being able to share ideas with, with other people. God also continues to draw kids and families into the life of Christ Church. And he's inspired us to equip, support, and care for them with the love of Christ. We've hired a gifted preschool director to prepare the ground for the relaunch of our preschool in the fall of this year. 
We recruited a seasoned disabilities ministry director who's already building up our ministries for families with disabilities. And we've now broken ground on massive upgrades to the children's and student ministry spaces at our Oak Brook campus in order to provide better ease of navigation, higher levels of security, and more kid-friendly environments. In this last year, it's been abundantly evident just how much this community cares to be the hands of God's grace lifting those in need. From dedicated financial and prayer support for our mission partners, to the mobilization of eager groups of people going off to serve in places like the Dominican Republic or Romania or Malawi, to the spontaneous grants we've been able to make for disaster relief in Florida and Hawaii. God is lifting people all over the world as we respond to his call together. We know that it's the people, not our physical campuses, that are Christ Church. With that perspective, we've confidently deferred for several years some of the care that we might have given to our infrastructure in favor of supporting the ministries that serve people. In this last year, however, the generosity this community has demonstrated towards our lift vision has allowed us to finally check off numerous maintenance items that will help ensure our ability to continue to house and serve well the ministries of the church. Similarly, with a long view in mind, I'm so happy that we've moved forward on our plan to further pay down some of the church's already conservative level of debt. Together, we're in the process of freeing up resources for ministry use down the road. And finally, through the commitments made just a year ago now, we've been able to continue to provide our core ministries and mission with a consistent, if not greater, level of impact. What is really exciting to us about the LIFT initiative is that we are giving in partnership with others at Christchurch. So it's not just what the two of us can do, but it's in partnership with others so that way more could be accomplished. I know that many of you have been a part of this journey with us over the last year. You've made sacrifices to help lift others toward their God-given potential. And for that, I want to offer a deep thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to the God of grace. Thank you for your commitment to his purposes in this world. Thank you for your commitment, both in prayer for and in giving toward our shared vision. I want to encourage you to stay strong in this journey, to continue in humility before the Lord, and to invite him to use you as a vessel of his grace. I know also that many of you have yet to join us on this journey. Maybe you weren't yet ready one year ago, or you've just become more a part of this family in recent times. I wanna thank you too for being such a vital part of our community. Your current participation in the life of Christ Church helps shape who we are and how we follow Jesus together. For that reason, I invite you to join us even more formally on this journey toward the fulfillment of our LIFT vision. Knowing that my LIFT commitment is helping folks both home and abroad because I got to see the impact abroad and where those dollars are going, it makes every dollar feel worth it. Maybe there's a next step of faith for you or a step into the life of the church here that you've been hesitating to make. 
Perhaps you're feeling inspired now to make a commitment to support our ongoing efforts to lift others. Wherever you are, may you be strengthened by the God of grace. Looking back over the last 12 months, it is really amazing to see how the Lord has stretched and grown us and how when we sacrifice, God has provided for us and how his love at work through this community has lifted so many people above the gravity of life. As we look ahead to the next season of this journey, I pray that each of us would join in this vision together, trusting the Lord with all that we are and inviting him to use us as his hands of lifting grace.